I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Deceptively Fast podcast Different circumstances this week. I am taking a one-day vacation up to a little small ski town in upstate New York, Ellicottville, New York. Ross Tucker, who some of you remember from this show, um, or you might just know from being an NFL guy, he loves this little town. And this is close to where my family grew up, so uh, we're up here visiting with some family just for one day. But my my Apple computer got a some malware on it and it screwed everything all up so my recording software wasn't working and i'm kind of doing everything ad hoc right now frankly i'm a little disgusted because i didn't even know it was possible to get malware on an apple like that's one of the reasons i have an apple is because i look i've done the pc route and i understand any snobs that want to say hey mac is just for people that need it simple yeah yeah that's me i need it simple i need to not worry about things because i lack the administrative abilities to keep up with antivirus and stuff like that i expect the ghost of steve jobs to do that for me and it wasn't done for me so it threw my life in a disarray very uh, it's amazing how discombobulated you get when your computer isn't working for 12 to 24 hours but i think we've got it all figured out and uh so i've been traveling the last 12 hours or so and we'll, we'll we'll get through this i just apologize for the audio quality Let's wrap up the Brian Peters interview real quick. So for those of you that listened to it, we had Brian Peters on, former Texans linebacker, awesome guy, really, really smart. He talked about the keto diet, and I don't want to overly simplify it. He's he's wicked smart, <laughs> and he got really scientific about it. But low-carb diets in general, this is the cycle that I'll usually run. I'll hear somebody talk about it. I get excited. I try it for two days. It feels good. Then I go to try to work out and I feel like I got hit by a train and then I quit. I go eat usually one to three bags of Snickers and, and three, three might be an underestimate, uh, underestimation. So that, that's where I am with that right now. I'm going to, one of these days I'm going to do it right and just wean myself off the carbs. But Brian Peters is an incredibly disciplined human being, much more so than myself. And uh, that's why he's successful doing it today. It's going to be a whole bunch from this last week in the NFL, but also it's brought to you by Keeps.com. And I have to tell you about Keeps.com because I, as a 44-year-old man, am working on a little bit of a hair loss issue myself. And I discovered Keeps. It's been great because I've I've tried the minoxidil before and kind of haphazardly kept at it, and then I'd lose a bottle. Keeps is great because they send it to you every single month. Two out of three guys are going to get some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. I discovered it a little bit late because my my wife doesn't, she's much shorter than me, so she didn't notice it. So I saw a picture one day and I realized, oh my gosh, I uh, look, I'm balding. I've become, not even my father, I'm balding more than my father. And my, and my father-in-law, I guess I got... 
you never can tell if it was from your father or your mother's father, but my mother's father was bald as a cue ball, so I'm guessing that's who I got it from. God rest his soul, but damn him all the same. Uh, Keeps has revolutionized the way men are treated for hair loss. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for a hair loss prescription. Now you visit a doctor online. You get it delivered to your home. It's from a doctor licensed in your state. That's why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. And this is why you need to try it out. I love it. It makes it convenient. I take it. I put my lotion on in the morning and in the evening when I take my vitamins. I got to sit right next to my vitamins so I don't have to worry about keeping track of it and they send it to me every month to give me the the, the prescription go to keeps.com slash seth to get your first month of treatment for free that's keeps.com slash seth k-e-e-p-s keeps.com slash seth so quick story about me traveling uh this is how i started off yesterday i left my show and there was some bad weather, so I was barreling down the highway trying to get there in time because I my, my flight was leaving about an hour and a half after our show was over. I was all out of sorts because of this computer issue, you see. I, I wasn't able to get a bunch of sleep the night before, so I get to the airport. I go, I go through the check-in, which doing TSA pre-check is one of the smartest things I've ever done. I just told you logistically I'm kind of a nightmare sometimes. TSA pre-check is a godsend. Uh, You get to whiz past all the people waiting in line, and you feel kind of like a prince, kind of like a D-bag at the same time, especially because I... Somebody, somebody that I knew recognized me as I walked through, and I kind of had to give the uh, like, Hey, buddy, great to see you. Uh, I'm going to keep moving. Bye. Stay waiting in line. And But I was still uh, very much out of sorts and trying to figure out where I was going to go. And I, I, I had to go to the bathroom. I'd been holding it in for some time. So I, I walked into the bathroom and almost got to a stall before I realized, hey, that's a lady standing at the counter washing her hands. So I I'd walked into the women's room. This woman could not have been more polite about it. She didn't scream. She didn't shriek. She didn't uh, look at me like I was some pervert or something. And I immediately yelled, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she said, oh, no, no problem, no problem. And I walked out. So there was about a half hour or so where I was a little bit worried that I might be found out to be some kind of a predator. But I, I went on about my way, get to Atlanta. And I need to mention this because uh, our friend and my former co-host partner, Mike Meltzer, is really uh, he really has a lot of issues with places that don't have partitions between the urinals the atlanta airport has like six foot tall partitions between urinals and it's i noticed this not because i'm you know trying to spy the next guy to make the guy next to me or anything it's just it i get a little bit of a shy bladder myself and it was just spectacular so uh chef's kiss to the atlanta airport for your tall urinal separators oh oh and also the flight out of houston it ended up being delayed i gotta tell you i like to spread the love around everybody loves to complain about air travel i like to do the opposite and point out times where there's great service the the delta pilot on this airplane went out on the pa in the waiting area explained the situation to everybody in sitting in the waiting area about our delay and how we could make up time and try to get everybody to our flight on time. And he explained the boarding process better than most gate agents do. And then when he got on the, when he would get on the microphone in the plane, every time he gave an update, it was just, it was spectacular. It was incredible 
how informative he was. And it made the whole process a lot smoother. So kudos to you, random Delta pilot. I had to try to catch my next flight when I got out of the plane at Atlanta. So I didn't get a chance. I was going to take a picture of him and, and put it out there. But kudos to you, random Delta pilot. Missed my flight in Atlanta, of course, even after hurrying off the plane. So I spent six hours there. I was going to try to record the podcast from the airport. And it's just, uh, look, frankly, you look like enough of a D-bag when you're walking through the airport talking loudly on your cell phone. If I were to be walking through the airport recording a podcast on my cell phone, I feel like at that point my ego would have jumped the shark. And I just, I can't be that guy. I can't be that self-important. It's not in me. Anyway, I don't mean to ramble on, but I I mean, I kind of do mean to ramble on. But we've got football to get to. And this was a this is a dramatic week in the NFL. For a week that doesn't feature a whole ton of great games on the slate, the drama during the week was golden. And the Richard Sherman, Baker Mayfield dust-up was particularly pleasing to me because both those guys annoy me. Richard Sherman and Baker Mayfield. They both annoy me a little bit. They both got a little bit of the, hey, look at me. Wait, why are you looking at me? Hey, You know, the wearing a low-cut blouse and then uh, complaining about somebody staring at your boobs. That's what Richard Sherman and Baker Mayfield like to do. They seek out attention, and then they act like it's the media's fault. So, anyway, after San Francisco beats the Browns last week, Richard Sherman says to Michael Silver of the NFL Network that Baker Mayfield had refused to shake his hand when the captains shook hands for the coin toss at the beginning of the game. So Michael Silver writes this story. Baker Mayfield gets lambasted as immature and all of that. And all these videos start to emerge of Baker Mayfield definitely shaking hands with Richard Sherman before the game. And then after the coin toss, when some of the captains went in for another handshake, Baker Mayfield just makes a quick beeline for the sideline, but looking like he's got somewhere to go, like like quarterbacks sometimes do in a football game. So I, I'm, I'm torn here because now I'm feeling sympathetic to both Baker Mayfield and Richard Sherman. So usually the way this went was people were lambasting Baker Mayfield for being immature, egomaniacal, all these things. And then all of a sudden they realized, oh, it was Richard Sherman that was lying about this. I'll say lying. I'm doing air quotes as I say this because I'll explain what I think happened. And and all of a sudden, now people are sympathetic to Baker Mayfield. I'm actually sympathetic to Richard Sherman as well, because sometimes you tell yourself a story about a player or an opponent before a game, sometimes right during the game or, or right at the coin toss, kind of just to get yourself hyped a little bit. And then sometimes after the game, you forget the lie you told yourself. You know how they've done all these studies with memories, and, and particularly... Sometimes, well, with children, you can actually implant memories into children. If, you're, if you tell them strongly enough that something happened, they create that memory. It still works with adults, and sometimes you tell yourself this lie, and you forget to remind yourself after the game that it was a lie. The, the most shocking example I ever saw of this, not necessarily post-game, but in the game, was Greg Lloyd. Who Greg Lloyd had been on record as a guy that made up stories about his opponent in his mind, to get hyped for the game, so would imagine that somehow people had wronged him. And when I played with the Jaguars, we were up playing in Pittsburgh one year, and Keenan McArdle, Keenan McArdle comes off to the sideline after one series, 
and says, what the hell is Greg Lloyd talking about? He's claiming that I've been calling his house, that I've been harassing him, that I've been talking to his wife, all this stuff. And apparently Greg Lloyd was out on the field saying, I'll teach you to call my call my house and then a whole bunch of other select language and whatnot. And Keenan was totally confused by it. I didn't talk, I didn't know about it until after the game. Luckily for Keenan's sake, because Keenan was a nice dude and kind of had these his eyes wide open, like, why would somebody accuse me of doing that? Is somebody doing this? Is somebody claiming they're me and then calling his house? And I told him I'd read this article. No, Keenan, he's just he's just crazy. That's what he does. And Greg Lloyd was a he was a crazy and bad, bad, bad man. And it worked for him. I I started doing it somewhat. I would kind of I I'd tell myself little lies, kind of make up drama. I can't think of any specific ones right now. One of the ones, uh, you know, who did this once too was Jeremy Shockey did it to D'Amico Ryans. And it was, I can't remember how old D'Amico Ryans was at the time, but D'Amico was standing on the sideline during the National Anthem, very respectful as D'Amico always is. D'Amico's one of the genuine great guys in the NFL. He coaches for the 49ers right now, but he's a great linebacker for the the Texans and then the Eagles. But D'Amico's a stand-up quality dude, and he's just standing there on the sidelines watching the National Anthem. Well, Jeremy Shockey apparently had an issue with D'Amico not having his hand over his heart, which is officially part of the flag code. But that's a, does anybody, am I, am I wrong here? Did I miss some part of, of freak-out culture where now we get upset if people are standing respectfully, but they don't have their hand over their heart? I could, I could do five minutes on having your hand over your heart. But anyway, I know that's, I, I know that's technically part of the flag protocol. But for the most part, I, you wouldn't think anything of it. But Jeremy Shockey, Jeremy Shockey starts flipping out about it about how D'Amico didn't have his hand over his heart. And I don't know why he chose D'Amico other than that, look, hey, Jeremy Shockey is a really good tight end, and D'Amico Ryan's a really good linebacker. They're going to meet up on the field a little bit. And Jeremy Shockey kind of had that juice going for him. But Shockey's another guy that's a little off kilter, and I think he kept talking about it after the game. He couldn't turn it off. The Oh, oh I know one time this happened to me. was We were playing the Steelers. This was the first year the Texans existence in 2002 the Texans us we went up to the Steelers and we ended up having the fewest yards of offense in a victory ever I think it was 70 some yards of offense and we won the game because we had several turnovers a pick six I think Aaron Aaron Glenn had a punt return for a touchdown uh, there were there were just some freakish occurrences in that game it was funny because after the game, it felt like we had a really dominating defensive performance, but because we were out on the field so much, we'd given up like 400-some yards, which back in the day was a big deal, my friends. Not like these days. 400 yards is just a hiccup. So, But we, it was a good performance. We were just out on the field forever. But I remember they had some rookie center who came out. And now offensive linemen, you know, they're usually they're more blue-collar. They, they don't like to call a lot of attention to themselves. This center came out for introductions with his helmet off. And there was something about it. This kid being a rookie offensive lineman that came out for introductions with his helmet off, like he's Ray Lewis or something, that it drove me insane. And it became the only thing I cared about in that game was humiliating this kid. And I ended up getting him benched in the second quarter because I beat him so badly. <laughs> like it was, it was every little bit, every time that I had a chance to drive him into the dirt or to make him look bad, I did it. Because you just, that's what I latched on to for that game. 
Luckily, you know, that I guess it could have worked against me because after he got ejected in the second quarter, the object of my hatred uh, was gone, and I could have I could have turned all docile. I could have been a eunuch out there. But luckily, it didn't. Uh, I think by that point, we were already well on our way. Another part about that game, it, it got to the point where you're almost. I, I took on this sick, this sick fascination or this this desire almost that I didn't want the offense to to do anything. After a while, where we were winning the game and it was doing it all on defense, I almost wanted the offense to go three and out instead of getting angry about it because you're so tired and your legs are falling apart. Uh, I, I just went with that. Other notables. Oh, and, I, and again, usually when I do the solo podcast, I like to sprinkle in some sound here. But again, because of the technical difficulties, we're not going to be able to do that. Which means my wife isn't going to listen to this podcast. She said, if I don't chop it up with sound and segment it a little bit, she hates the podcast. So there will be no brandy listed on the followers today, on the on the listeners. Uh, notable quarterback matchup this week: Deshaun Watson versus Pat Mahomes. This is a big one, obviously. Pat Mahomes, who Took a little bit of a dip the last couple weeks, especially last week in their loss to Indianapolis. Um, taking on Deshaun Watson, who had his best game ever versus the Atlanta Falcons last week. And threw for, uh, I think it was 17 touchdowns. It seemed like 17 touchdowns. Threw for four touchdowns. Will Fuller had a hell of a day, too. But with the Chiefs losing to the Colts, I've, I've seen a whole lot of talk, and you always have to get really nervous when anybody ever starts talking about the blueprint for beating the Chiefs. Be very, very skeptical of that, because the one thing you're going to keep seeing is, hey, the Colts played a bunch of man defense versus the Chiefs, and the Chiefs don't do well versus man defense, so just play a bunch of man defense, right? Ah, look, Sammy Watkins was banged up in this game. Tyreek Hill was already out. They're... Chris Jones, their defensive lineman, got injured. Uh, Eric Fisher's been out. Uh, they have other injuries along the offensive and defensive line. There are a whole bunch of injuries that are starting to stack up to the Kansas City Chiefs. And then most notably, Pat Mahomes himself with a bum ankle. So, yes, the Colts were able to play man defense, even though they're a team that rarely, they don't play a whole lot of man defense. They're a very zone-heavy team. Then in this game, they ended up playing 70% man defense. It's not so easy to do when the Chiefs are at full force, and especially if Pat Mahomes' ankle isn't messed up. It's hard to play man because you still have to commit a spy to to attach himself to Pat Mahomes. If he's banged up and he can't move, you don't have to worry about spying him as much, and you can you can do some things more creatively defensively. So I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, all the Texans have to do is play a bunch of man defense and you'll be able to limit Pat Mahomes. I will say this. The Chiefs' run defense is horrid. Is With some of the improvements they've made on defense, they have not improved on run defense. The Colts won the rushing battle in that game 180 yards to 36 the Colts had the time of possession, 37 minutes. They ran twice as many offensive plays in that game. So, look, if you're the Colts and you're trying to manage Jacoby Brissett as much as possible, you're going to want to kind of use that Tom Brady philosophy of keeping the quarterback off the field. The Colts did that extremely well just by running the ball down their throat. I think the Texans can be more aggressive offensively. I think Deshaun Watson's going to have opportunities in this game. The one thing that Deshaun did last week and Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator, did as well. This is a three-person committee here that did a better job last week of getting the ball out of Deshaun's hands more quickly. Because it's easy to say, but sometimes it's Deshaun's psychology. Sometimes it's the play calling where there aren't just enough shorter routes built into the offense. 
Both Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson took a huge step forward last week. He ended up getting rid of the ball about a half second faster on average than he typically does. So that was really nice to see. As, uh, as me, a former Houston Texan and a Texans fan, that was nice to see. I'd like to see that continue to build this week. So this might end up... I. I want to say that there's a chance that this would be a shootout because that would mean two great performances by two young quarterbacks. I don't think that it will be because I think the Texans will still sprinkle a very liberal amount. I I say sprinkle. They'll use a liberal amount of running to try to shorten the game as much as possible. Fewer. The Texans have issues on the back end of their defense, and they don't want to be exposed to Patrick Mahomes any more than they need to. So... I would, If I were a gambling man, I'd take the under in this game because I think even with two good performances out of the quarterbacks, it's going to be run in such a fashion that the Texans at least are going to try to take a whole bunch of time off the clock. If you happen to be a Chiefs fan and you're trying to cut the cord or maybe you're going to be out and about during the game, if you're a Texans fan and you're in Houston or if you're anywhere trying to watch your local team, you want to try out CBS All Access. You can get a, a week free when you go to cbs.com slash Seth, and what you'll have is the ability to watch not just CBS programming, but your local games will not be blacked out. You can watch them online on your devices, on your smartphone, on your tablet, if you're on the bus, if you're at work, if you have to go to some some wedding or something in the fall why do people schedule weddings in the fall i can't be too critical of it because my brother did it and i was the best man still i question it sometimes anyway getting too much into my personal business go to cbs.com slash seth you'll get that free trial and you'll be able to watch your local games since we're talking about holding on to the ball too long Let's circle back to Baker Mayfield a little bit. This is another notable matchup this week, the Browns versus the Seahawks. And I, I kind of in my brain, when I talk about Deshaun Watson, I, I look at him as in the middle of this category of quarterbacks. You've got Russell Wilson at the top, who is one of the very best quarterbacks in the league right this moment. You've got Deshaun Watson in the middle, and then you've got Baker Mayfield at the bottom. These are three quarterbacks who all have a tendency to hold on to the ball a long time. With Russell Wilson, it has become acceptable because he's so brilliant at ad-libbing plays, making something out of nothing, improvising when he holds on to the ball, but also because I think he has a pretty good feel for when and where to do it. And that's become their offense. It's built into their offense. It's built into their methodology. It helps that they run the ball very effectively and balance it out to, to, to keep it from to keep it from getting off schedule too much if he does that three times in a row as a passer. Deshaun Watson, with everything we just told you about the way he evolved last week as a passer, he's somewhere along the lines of there's times where he turns down the easy money. There's times where he should be throwing it for an easy five yards on first down, and he doesn't. He's getting better at it, but he's still not there yet. But he is also capable of really improvising as the play breaks down. He can do incredible things on third and long. So you never want to completely squash that out of him. Baker Mayfield Baker Mayfield is also that guy that extends the play, but is not doing it in the right way at all right now. And I think at least part of the problem is, and I think Baker Mayfield needs to learn this as quick as possible, 
he's not as athletic as Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. He can't get away with doing some of the things that those guys can. He did last year, but teams are starting to get a beat on him. One thing that's happening to Baker Mayfield this year, and it's really interesting, is he's got some of these bad habits you see out of college quarterbacks. I remember watching Case Keenum, where Case would bail out the back of a pocket, and he would take a a sack that could be a seven-yard loss and ended up turning it into a 20-yard loss. Case had some bad habits. That's why it's so impressive how far he's come uh, in the NFL to where he is right now. He he just <clears throat> he did some things you can't get away with because Case was the same way. In college, hey, he was scrambling around. He'd improvise. He can still do that to a certain extent, but he's not as athletic as Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. So Baker Mayfield needs to learn and understand that he can't be – drifting out he just drifts to the right for no reason whatsoever and defenses have started to scheme for that a little bit to where they'll they'll invite him to drift to the right you know Michael Vick used to be like this Michael Vick was a little bit different Mike was because he's a lefty sometimes if you could force him to go right it really affected him so teams would adjust their pass rush it's almost the opposite here because Mayfield just drifts to the right for no good reason whatsoever and things can kind of break down because of it. He's got a he's got some bad habits he's got to get out of. I'm not going to give up on Baker Mayfield because for one, he's working with Freddie Kitchens. I, I I'm not giving up on Freddie Kitchens honestly either at this point. I think because the biggest thing is he's accurate. Baker Mayfield is very accurate and still makes some great throws. It's really just a matter of getting all this other stuff that he got away with last year that you can't get away with anymore. I, I've heard some criticism of the Browns for having a first-year quarterback coach. I think it's Ryan Lindley, right? Um, a first-year quarterback's coach working with a young quarterback like that. I saw that with David Carr when the Texans made Greg Roman the quarterback's coach after when he had never coached quarterbacks before. And I'm kind of torn on this one. At the time, I was very skeptical of it. Even though I liked Greg Roman and I knew he was really bright, I felt like you're, it's kind of like turning over the keys to a Ferrari to your 16-year-old driver. This is a very, very valuable asset, and you're just letting the teenager run it and grind the gears and all those things. But now I've watched Greg Roman turn into this guy that's worked with a lot of young quarterbacks and done very well. You know, Colin Kaepernick's best years of his career arguably came when Greg Roman was his offensive coordinator. You're seeing what he's doing with Lamar Jackson right now. Uh, so was Greg Roman the right fit at that time? Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I'm certainly not going to blame Brett, Greg Roman for David Carr not working out as a quarterback. But uh, I, I, I think that it's really a matter of just going through some of these hiccups. And I've seen this with Deshaun Watson in his second year where it just took a little, a, a little while. Gardner Minshew, since that's the other guy that we can't seem to get away from talking about, Gardner Minshew... Some really interesting things that Greg Cassell had said about Gardner, uh, Gardner Minshew, the young quarterback for the Jaguars. Here it is. Let's see. This is an article by Greg Bedard. I think his ball placement is consistently precise. He has enough movement in the pocket to make that a factor. But at his core, he's a pocket player. I like what I see of him. In some ways, I think he fits what they do, what they want to do, better than Nick Foles does. So this is from Greg Cassell, a guy who doesn't come in with hot takes and who watches a whole bunch of film and has seen a whole bunch of quarterbacks. And he'll be the first one to tell you, hey, with young quarterbacks, you just flat out can't tell exactly what's going on with a guy until you've got enough film on him. I think that Gardner Minshew 
has that same thing that Baker Mayfield does, which is accuracy. And and people love to point out you can't teach accuracy. You can. You can improve it marginally. Dak Prescott's a guy who got better and more accurate from college to the NFL, but largely the rule is you can't teach a guy to be accurate. I think that Minshew has that accuracy. I think he's got enough of the other attributes of athleticism and arm strength and all of that other stuff that it looks like his height is his biggest impediment. His lack of a resume in college kept him from perhaps getting drafted higher. You know, those two things combined. But he's an accurate thrower, and he's got that he's got that charisma or that chutzpah, whatever you want to call it. He's just he's Joe Cool out there, and people love him. It's gonna be it's gonna be super interesting if the Jaguars win a few more games and Nick Foles comes back. Uh, Greg Bedard wrote this in this article too. The part of Minshew's game that has stood out the most has been his accuracy. See, Greg Bedard, a writer who I respect a lot, pointing this out. The same thing. Uh, he ranks fifth in the league behind Wilson, Tom Brady, Pat Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. Again, there's those those uh, those young quarterbacks again at a 119.4 passer rating on deep passes. So on deep balls, the long ball, which chicks. Chicks dig, I'm told. That's where he's been really good. So uh, I'm going to keep cheering for Gardner Minshew. I like the I like the whole deal. Real quick before we go, I want to I want to mount a defense of Mike Tomlin, who's gotten a whole bunch of crap in recent years. And some uh, sometimes you hear news on a Sunday and then you don't keep up with the story and it just gets cemented in your brain, kind of like Richard Sherman cementing it in his brain that Baker Mayfield hadn't sh- shaken his hand. Sometimes you hear a story on Sunday. And the story I had heard on Sunday told to me briefly about the Steelers was that, hey, Mike Tomlin chose to kick the ball, chose to go on defense in overtime, and oh, and then they lost the game, and man, what a moron he was. There's more to the story than that. The strategy actually worked out. It was a game where the Steelers were not getting a whole bunch of offense. They had not been returning the ball well, and Tomlin felt like his best chance for field position was to start on defense force a punt, and then get the ball. And they did. They got the ball on about the 35-yard line. Problem is, they ended up fumbling after that. So it wasn't it wasn't the decision to kick that did them in or anything. They had forced a punt, which meant that if they scored after that, they'd win. They had better field position than where they likely would have started out with a kick return. And uh, Mike Tomlin's been getting a whole lot of crap for the last couple of years. Some of it is fault. Some of it more personnel people's faults, and specifically uh, Antonio Brown and whatever whatever devilry he was up to while he was up there in Pittsburgh. He had some questions from listeners, and I'm going to do this, guys. Because of our limited capabilities right now, technologically, I don't want to edit this at all, so I'm going to do the thing which in radio we were advised we're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to tell the listener when you're looking stuff up. At least this is what this is what some people have told me. Other people have no issue doing it. I personally wouldn't really have an issue doing with it, doing it, other than that that people have told me not to do it before. But since this is all podcasts, I'm just going to look this up as we do it. So, as I requested some questions on Twitter, let's see. Um, I, I explained to everybody that I had some issues and that it was not porn related. My malware was not porn related. Okay. Splitty asks me, who's the better quarterback in three years, Deshaun Watson or Pat Mahomes, and why? This is an excellent question, Splitty. And it comes down to the question of, okay, better quarterback or who does the most with the circumstances he has? I'm going to say this, and this is where I think both these guys, both these guys are equal quality clay. 
you know, if you were if you gave it to a sculptor, I think it just depends on which sculptor gets the clay. I think that Andy Reid has proven obviously that he's a much more experienced and much more accomplished offensive coach coach than Bill O'Brien. But it comes down to what tools is Pat Mahomes going to have to work with? And I don't know. I trust that DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller are going to be around longer than Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins. So three years from now, who are Pat Mahomes' receivers? And how consistent are they? Is Tyreek Hill still a, uh, is Tyree Hill still walking uh, amongst free people, or is he locked up somewhere? I don't know, but I feel like Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller are still going to be around. And I think that if Bill, if Bill O'Brien pulls off this GM experiment, then he'll still be around too, which means that the offense is going to be stacked up. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it's going to be Deshaun Watson. Uh, Pat DeStat asked when you played, was there a certain way you had to wear your uniform? Gloves, towels, taped wrists. Uh, there was one thing that I did, which was I had a, a teammate of mine in college named Jeff Stenstrom who had passed away. He had meningitis my sophomore year, his freshman year. And he was an awesome guy, just a just a really salt-of-the-earth badass. And I, I may have told this story on the podcast before. I can't remember. But I always wrote his initials somewhere on my uniform because he was the kind of guy I always felt like if I, if I were tired or if I were struggling, I tried to remember, man, Jeff Sandstrom was like the kind of guy that just played his ass off for his teammates no matter what. So I always wanted to honor his memory by digging down deep and, and playing really hard. And that was always my little reminder. I got to tell that story to his dad when we were doing, uh, we were presenting a, a memorial to his son, uh, tenor, to Jeff, 10 or 15 years after he'd passed away. And, and that was really cool. Let's see. Garrett Heinrich asks, who did you deliver the hardest hit ever to? When did you realize it was a really hard hit? Jerome Bettis. I actually hit Jerome Bettis really hard up in Pittsburgh one year, and I barely remember the hit because I think I got the worst of it. But all my friends and my brother came up to me after the game and said, holy crap, you you smacked Bettis. I stuffed him in the hole. And it was one of those things where you just had two large humans going at each other really fast, and it... It stalemated enough, but I kept my feet moving. So it was a really loud collision. It's not like I decleated him or anything. It was just a really loud collision, and then I ended up on top of him. So I guess that was my favorite one just because Jerome Bettis was such an extreme stud. Other than that, it would be a lot of stuff from like high school and college. I, I, I still feel guilty about some of the kids I hit in high school because it wasn't fair. I... I you know, at the time where I grew up, football wasn't that big at all, and kids weren't training the way they are now. I was a, I was a 225-pound, you know, stud by high school standards going against offensive linemen that sometimes weighed 170 pounds. <laughs> I was going against some of these quarterbacks that were 6'3", 140. I'd hit them, and it felt like I was hitting a feather. I feel bad about some of that. I feel like I, I feel like some of those kids might be walking around feeling uh, feeling messed up these days let's see uh somebody else asked when are you getting announced for entering the xfl draft xfl draft i'm excited about which i believe happens this week i might have to do an xfl draft special because there are some names there's some former the quarterbacks and names from teams that i've covered and watched that i'm a little excited about because these there are a lot of guys in there that i think should have been viable nfl players but for whatever reason we're not. Sam Montgomery is one guy who was 
a linebacker drafted by the Texans from LSU, who's a, a physical stud in a lot of ways. But I, um, I, I sorry, I'm, I was getting distracted by a few of these questions. So maybe we'll do that. We'll have to experiment with that. So thank you, everybody, for bearing with me. I hope everybody has a great weekend and has a blast. Oh, if you could. Leave a five-star review, please, on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're doing it. If you leave a review, I love reading those. Uh, you guys are the best. Everybody have a great weekend. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t